join. Game on, everybody. Throwback. Jake Seeley, Brad Ziegler with you guys. Getting ready for the fantasy football season. A few days away from August. It's it's almost here, I guess. I guess, Brad, quote unquote, it's draft season coming up. I mean, the flex leagues are kicking off draft season as they always do this weekend. But uh, it's going to be weird. And we're going to talk about a lot about that. But as a reminder for you guys, if you go to any of the fantasy football draft kit articles, which we're kind of launching 2.0, next week on Tuesday for you guys to kind of refresh for the ones that weren't early and now you're just getting into it. So make sure you go over there. Any of the articles you click on, click on one, mine, but click on any of them. Uh, if you scroll to the bottom, 40% off if you're not a subscriber already. So 40% off of the entire year. You could go to DVR's waiver wire column if you're playing fantasy baseball and you need 18,000 pickups already like I do. Uh, so you can get it if you go there, any of the articles. But yeah, Brad, uh, here's the first thing right off the bat. We already have people opting out. Half the Patriots, I think, haven't you know decided to play this year. Uh, but Brad, jokes aside, I keep saying this is one of the years where like I there's the advantage of drafting early and there's the advantage of drafting late. We know the caveat to drafting early is that you might get hit with the injury despite your great value, which happens every single year. You get guys in the eighth, ninth, tenth round. By the time the end of August rolls around, everybody knows about them, and now they're going in the fourth or the fifth. The downside is they could get hurt. On the flip side, this is a completely different scenario this year. We know what's going on with COVID. We see what's going on with baseball. NBA and NHL give us optimism. But I think, I don't know, I want to get your opinion. I'm doing whatever I can in whatever league I can play in anywhere, not just because of opt-outs, but wait till Labor Day weekend to draft if you can. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it definitely helps to wor- um, to wait late. You know, in a dynasty league or rookie draft, I've, I've done a couple this week. Those don't really matter as much. Um, you know, the thing that we're wrestling with in those type of leagues is if the season gets cut short, what do we do next year as far as draft order? Um, you know, how do we how much of the season do you have to play to, to, to declare a winner? Um, you know, or and, and then again, the draft order, it's there's a lot more competitions or a, a lot more complications long term uh, from Dynasty League in the seasonal leagues. I completely agree. Wait as long as you can. And one, you know, one thing I'm in a draft. Um, it's an auction that we do every year on Labor Day weekend, and every year, everybody always gets together in person to do it, and this year, we're going to be doing it online for the first time, and so it's going to be weird, like, there's not, but when, it'll, it'll calm things down a little bit, because there's always fights every year about, did he get his bid in in time, was the clock out, you know, like, this year, there's, you just have the Yahoo website to go, go to, and, and there's no, um, there's not going to be any questions about whether they got their bid in or not, so hopefully the draft will go about an hour faster than, than it usually does. (laughs) <laughs> that that's definitely going to be different about that. But so I think the biggest thing is we got to make sure everybody knows, like, go keep, you know, keep these rules or get these rules in place before the season and don't leave it for, oh, my gosh, now what do we do? Like a lot of people had to do with the NBA. Like Nobody could have seen the NBA and NHL coming. But that was the big discussion is who do we pay out? How many places do we pay out? Do we just crown whoever's in first place? Like have those in place, have those ideas in place. And so you don't get to the end of the season. You're like, well, now what do we do? Right. So uh, I I guess like throw out some of the options out there just real quick. Like if the season gets cut half short, like would you just for you, like would you roll last year's draft order and just do it again? Or would you? We discussed that, but we we talked about I think what what we're going to end up settling on is some sort some form of a weighted lottery where where it takes into account last year's standings, but it also takes into account this year's standings. And the deeper we get to this year, the more this year's 
um, standings weigh the lottery that way as opposed to last year's. But we uh, we feel like the team that had the, the worst record last year and had the first pick this year has already received that benefit. They shouldn't get that benefit two years in a row without, you know, okay. without some, uh, you know, potential for the other teams to get that pick. Because it's going to be a, 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 I mean, it's a vital pick. I mean, you think about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor in this draft, and you just hand a player like that over to, to a team two years <laughs> in a row, it can shift the balance of the of the league really quickly and, and, and you know, unfairly. And so um, we're, we've discussed that we've discussed, um, you know, I think, I think what we've decided is if we get to week through week 12 of the NFL regular season, then we would take this year's standings and anything short of that. The only way that we would crown a champion is if they had already clinched first place um, and no one, no one could catch them. Like it would just be impossible at that point. It's hard not to award that team when they've been that dominant. Um, but at the same time, there's you know there is a, a lot of different scenarios that that we're having to play through because it's it's you know you I throw out all these ideas and then other guys have ideas and it's like okay well I see their point and and so it's you know it's a it's a group me conversation that's about 50, 50 messages long right now with ideas for what we could do and and we haven't decided on anything yet. Well, so this is an in-season idea that I've mentioned a couple times and get your thoughts on this and see if it's been brought up and what you think in general. And I keep telling people, like, it's, look, I understand it kind of makes you groan a little bit because it takes some of the strategy out, and that's the whole point of, like, setting a weekly lineup. But what I'm getting at is if we get, and I said, like, don't do it now. If we get to the end of August and it's looking more like MLB than NBA and NHL, and it's looking like we might run into cases every single week, I said, if it's that point, you still have weekly roster, waiver wire, you still have weekly roster, trades, you still have all that, but your weekly lineup is best ball. And the reason I bring that up is because even if you expand your rosters to 18 or 20 and everybody has a backup quarterback, there's a big difference than if you drafted Dak and Zeke on the same team and they play Monday night football or even Sunday night football and then your options instead of starting them might be like Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, Tevin Coleman. Like, you're going to want your best players. And um, again, I know that kind of leaves a bad taste in the fact of like, oh, well, you're just going to get your best lineup set every single week and there's no strategy. But at the same time, it's a weird year. And I don't want to be, you know, hamstringing teams to say, well, Monday morning, the Cowboys found out that, you know, they got COVID on their flight and now the, you know, half the team can't play and you're without, you know, a top five quarterback and a top five running back. Yeah. And I, I, from the running back side, I, could see that I think one thing you could do on the quarterback side is do a team quarterback um and and just that way you at least get the Cowboys backup if Dak is is ruled out for COVID um last minute I it's not my favorite thing um but yeah but then you would have wanted to start Jimmy Garoppolo instead you see what I'm saying so in theory in theory yeah (laughs) but you're you're essentially I mean you know the concept of fantasy football is run your own team and that's kind of what you would would be doing if you're the Cowboys like shoot we just got sprung last second that Dak's not gonna be able to play we've got to run with Andy Dalton at that point and and that's it's just the you know kind of you know it's not ideal for the Cowboys it's not ideal for your fantasy team and don't draft anybody that plays on Monday night that's the only thing I can you know (laughs) tell you give yourself (laughs) give yourself some outs (laughs) yeah so avoid 13 teams in a league or whatever it is Uh, more than that it'd be it'd be probably like 26 of them you got to draft all your guys on like six teams no, I think some get. I mean, if you include a Sunday night, yeah, I think you get. But I don't think everybody gets Monday night as much as that. There's a lot of overlap there. But all right, so let's go back to that situation, and we have players opting out. 
the one of note, I mean, there's been a couple, like I joked about the Patriots, and there's been a lot of defensive players, especially a big hit to the the, uh, the Bears, but the one for deep leagues, nobody was super excited, but I had, I think I mentioned him to you before that if Devin Funches was named the number two starter for the Packers at wide receiver, people would have interest again. He had value when he was playing with Cam Newton. Because he opted out, and people made jokes about it that he's been opting out for years. That's not what we're here <laughs> for. Is does this just kind of cement your feeling about drafting Alan Lazard? And instead of taking Lazard in the eleventh, twelfth round, now you're kind of more confident, and you'll take him in the eighth, ninth round. And do you have any appeal of in a deeper league, some Jay Sternberger, because there's opportunity here now, knowing that there's one person out of the competition. Yeah, maybe. And I, I don't know that I would move Lazard up any. I'll say that because I, I think Lazard is what he is. And I think there's a pretty good chance he was going to be the number two over Funchess anyways, just because of the rapport with Rodgers and, right. and the lack of training camp. That said, this this actually elevates Devontae Adams to me because Funchess was the only wide receiver they brought in in this off offseason. They didn't draft anybody. They didn't sign any other free agents. He was the only one. This to me is is like it's... Devontae Adams is my number one wide receiver for the year. I'll take him over Michael Thomas right now. And I'm not saying I would draft him over Michael Thomas. I'm saying that if I'm ranking players for the season, I think he, because I just think he's going to be such a huge target hog. He's going to have weeks where he has 15 to 18 targets. And it's not going to surprise anybody. We're going to talk about it, but it's it's not like, you know, a, a random game where, um, Oh, I'm trying to bad example, but like say DJ Moore or Curtis Samuel is not, you know, if they got a 15 to 18 target game, everybody'd be like, what the heck? When, <laughs> when Devonte Adams gets 15 to 18 targets, you're like, well, yeah, I could see it. There's no one else there. And so I, I, to me, he's my wide receiver one for the season. Um, it, it hurts Aaron Rodgers a little bit to me because he is going to have to rely on a whole bunch of nobodies. Uh, in the passing game outside of Devontae Adams. Now, Jay Sternberger, sure, a late flyer as a as a tight end too, um, you know, and even maybe a little below that. I don't know that I'd put him even in my top 24 tight ends um, because I'm not positive he's even going to be the starter there. I know there's not a whole lot else there, um, but you just kind of never know this, this year, and I'm not going to – I, I want to bank at least on a guy that I've seen play before. Yeah, I mean, but I'll take a fl- like if you're talking about tight ends in that range, he's definitely inside my top twenty-four. I mean, that we're talking about some like dredges of the earth there, tight end. And for everybody that's out there, like, oh, Aaron Rodgers and no tight, like Richard Rodgers a few years ago, five hundred yards and eight touchdowns. And I'm not saying I want that because you're just banking on the touchdown, but he was a top twelve t- tight end that year because that's all it takes. So I was just saying, if you gave Sternberger. What last year was, was Jimmy Graham's 60 targets. So that's still assuming other people get involved. But, you know, with no Funches, with just Alan Lazard as a number two, you know, maybe that pushes the 70. But even 60 to 70 targets, he could turn that into 45 to 50. And then that puts him around 550 and six, maybe. Which I bring up 550 and six every single year is because 550 and six, Brad, it'll get you to tight end one. It gets you to about tight end 11 or 12. So, again, I'm with you. I'm not like, oh, go draft him in your standard size league. But it doesn't take a whole lot to get into the discussion if they need options. And I think that. You know, he could be their red zone option, at least. On the good side of it, James Conner and Mark Andrews said they're going to play. Uh, James Conner, I, I, I got to tell you, Brad, like, I, I love hearing this news, but there's still a little piece of me that says, uh, that sounds great as of today, but I would completely understand if anybody in the NFL wanted to sit out, the guy who survived cancer would be the one. And, you know, they, like I would love to see a full season of James Conner because he would be a top 10 running back, in my opinion, but... 
does this fact that he said he's going to play and knowing that he's not going to hold it, like, does that not hold out, sit out? Does does that make you feel better, or are you like me, where there's still just a little bit of concern in the back of your mind? There, there's concern for me, and not not so much. I guess the biggest thing is when you have him, you know, you mentioned Mark Andrews, he's a diabetic. That's That was his biggest question mark uh, because diabetics are, are high risk with COVID. Um, the, the bigger concern for me is if they get it, we're looking at potentially a lot longer than a two week, a two, you know, missing two weeks of games. Whereas someone who's typically healthy, they're saying, you know, 10 to 14 days is a reasonable comeback window. You got a guy with a compromised immune system or, or a diabetic and such, they may miss six to eight weeks. And, and, and you hope at that point they can even come back. Like it's, there's, there's some major risk there involved. And so um, I, I don't, I mean, I obviously don't wish that on anybody, but I'm hesitant to draft these guys. And Mark Andrews is somebody I'm really high on in general, but there's no way I'm making him my tight end three this year because if he happened to get COVID, I mean, he may miss two months and and may be very weak when he comes back after that and might miss three months because of it. And and I don't, I, I just feel like you look at him almost as an injury-prone guy, even though he's not injury-prone, just because of the possibility of the extended extended uh, you know games missed and um, I I don't know I, I'm probably just gonna avoid those guys altogether because I'm, I'm gonna do my best to um, you know to to limit my my injury risk or illness risk as best I can <laughs> so you're not, you're not drafting those or anybody playing on Monday Night Football so you're basically you're gonna have like four yeah, people I, yeah <laughs> pretty much and, and you know what I, what I'll probably do is just try to draft all the Chiefs and if and I'll be really good a lot oh, of they got Monday Night they, Football if they get Monday Night Football and and guys get are late scratches I'm just taking an L that week. <laughs> oh that's yeah uh real quick about that the one other one that doesn't it's not a skill position but i did want to bring it up because the titans rookie isaiah wilson now he's not opting out but he got slapped on the there's a lot of rookies that, that got slapped onto the covid list uh, reported to camp and they got tested obviously does the fact that isaiah wilson was supposed to slide in and take over the right tackle spot uh he has this he's already a rookie tackle in general so he's going to get even a later start does this I want to bring this up for the hesitancy of taking Derrick Henry where it's going to command taking Derrick Henry because Derrick Henry is going inside the top eight picks no matter if you're in non or full, full PPR do you kind of hesitate a little bit because I know you've you brought up numerous times that you're already kind of hesitant on Derrick Henry because of the 400 touch workload but this on top of it like if you were already like let's say well you could just tell me Brad like wherever you had him does this make you move him down even more and you're one of the more hesitant people in general when it comes to Derek. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I'd move him down more for this because I do think there's a, a chance that, you know, they their offensive line was really good last year. They've got some depth. Um, they add Isaiah Wilson, who who I think they want to start, but there's no guarantee that any offensive lineman is going to come in and start right away. And so there, there's a chance that he was already going to be a, a, you know, start the season anyways as a second stringer. It gives him a little more development time from a classroom type perspective because he can still do Zoom calls and stuff. Um, he just can't report in, in person and get the physical work in. So um, I'm I'm not overly worried about about this news for Derrick Henry per se. It's you know it's more the general, but I'm not going to move him down any more because of this um, because I've already got him probably lower than every other analyst out there. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly fair. All right, so let's talk. I think we've done it like three times now, but let's go back to the Eagles one more time. 
uh, because the news for Alshon Jeffrey, we speculated, we assumed, we assumed, and we assumed, and it's official, is, you know, he's going to be on the pup. He is on the pup. Probably stays there to start the season at this point. We continually, the reason I only bring this up is because we continually talk about the rookies, and especially, uh, you know, we know the pecking order. Running backs have it the easiest, wide receivers after that, and then tight ends and quarterbacks are probably, uh, tight ends probably dead last, no question about that, but wide receivers have it tougher than running backs. But Jalen Rager, if for the comparison of opportunity here, I saw, I think it was Rich Rebar or somebody yesterday brought up the fact of, why aren't we talking about this like Terry McLaurin? It's the opportunity. Like Terry McLaurin versus Jalen Rager, some people might even have argued at the time that Jalen Rager, if you just took him prospect versus prospect, is the better prospect. He's also going to the better offense with the better quarterback. So why aren't we considering Jalen Rager as a potential top 30 wide receiver because no Jeffrey, who knows what Deshaun Jackson is, and basically it's the tight ends and everybody else. He's stepping into the Greg Ward role, which was the number one wide receiver. Yeah, I I mean, I I am probably as high on Rager as anybody. He's my number two rookie wide receiver behind C.D. Lamb in, in my dynasty ranking. So um, I, I like him. He's We've talked before. I'm very hesitant on rookies in 2020 because of the lack of, of extended training camp, mini camps, you know, all that stuff. That said, his opportunity is off the charts. There, it doesn't get any better than a team that is so starved for for receiver production to go and draft a guy in the first round who's super athletic. He gets open on the outside, which is what they crave, and that's it, it's yeah. I mean, it's all everything's lining up where it wouldn't surprise me at all if he ends up 2020 as the top rookie wide receiver. Um, if nothing else, just out of sheer volume. So where are you willing to take him at this point then? Uh, I, I, oh gosh, I'd probably take Rager. Yeah, I would definitely take him in the top 10 rounds for sure. Um, okay. I, I would maybe, maybe as like my wide receiver four, something like that. I'd like to have three established guys ahead of him. Um, if I can, if I can wait that long and some of that obviously depends on team construction, but if I can, if I can get four good running backs and four good receivers or three good receivers ahead of him, I would take him in the eighth round. All right, so then let's let's play a little game here for you real quick. Uh, let's say you can get in the ninth round, both of these guys, because that's about kind of where they're going right as of today. Would you rather take Debo Samuel and wait on him, or would you rather take rookie Jalen Rager? I'll take Rager, for sure, because I they came out yesterday or, or day before and said there's a really good chance Debo's missing games. That tells me that he is not on the short side of the recovery window, the time window. They said, I think there's a good chance he, he ends up on the pup and misses six games to start the season two. And I think if, six if, would be a killer. I think if it's like three or four, you could live with that more. Yeah, Similar and, like and that's, that's probably true. Suspended. I just don't know. Like with the, the biggest thing this year, and this is why they put Alshon Jeffrey on the pup so soon, they have the the shrunk rosters the 80 man rosters for camp this year which is down from 90 whatever they they have had in the past by putting him on the pup now they can add another player to the roster he doesn't count against that 80 80 man count and so that's the advantage to putting him on it early they can take him off at any point during training camp they just have to make room on that that 80 man roster for him it wouldn't surprise me if they do the same thing with Debo really soon and and try to at least add some depth somewhere for camp and then see what happens but Debo it wouldn't surprise me when they're already talking about him missing games and it's July there's a really good chance to me he starts on the pup and and I'm giving me the guy even then even in a in a if Debo does come back his chances of re-injury are high you don't have that anything any risk like that with Rager right now the with Rager the only thing is is 
chemistry. Can he develop chemistry with Carson Wentz? Because it's a great passing offense. It's he. The opportunity is is insane. They've made a huge investment in him. I like it. it I don't know. I just I would take Rager probably anyways, even if Debo didn't start the season on the pup. Really? Oh, they, if see, that's what I'm saying. Like if I if I only had to make up three weeks of Debo Samuel, the replacement plus Debo once he's Debo. Like I know that when Debo comes back. You know, obviously the, the re-injury, you're right. I think inside injuries already put that out there. And that's why inside injuries was saying it needs to be mid-September at the earliest, unless they want him to potentially re-injure Like Trent Taylor just went through this, but that's why I'm thinking the 49ers are leaning to the safest possible way because they just experienced this with one of their receivers. So they, they have this in the back of their mind. Not that Trent Taylor's on Samuel's level, but again, they just went through it. So they have proof of what could happen. If it was no, like what I was saying, if he's not on the pup, that tells me probably more like the three, four week range than the six, like six. Obviously I'm with you. Like I'm not going to screw around with a lot of players on the pup just in general, because six is your minimum at that point, let alone your potential for re-injury. But I'm a little bit more of Debo Samuel is not on the pup and can be back. Like, like I said, end of September, I'll make up with replacement because the replacement might be Rager. Replacement might be around his range. It might be somebody that I could find as a wide receiver three or four. Uh, I'll give you a good example because I just took Debo as my fifth wide receiver in a draft just two days ago. And I gave you the link there, the FFPC, the it's best ball and best ball helps a little bit because obviously I don't have to make that decision of who replaces him. But sure. even then, if he's your fifth wide receiver, I, and that's why I bring up the Le'Veon Bell, because if you take the games that you get from Debo, plus whoever the replacement is, in my opinion, that's going to be better than Rager. Yeah, I, it's it's very possible. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's Rager could be what Debo was last year, and if Debo hits what he did last year at this point, I think that would be a win just because he's probably missing games. So you're, you're right. There's a chance that, um, you know, that you could replace somebody for three or four weeks, but we could also run into it into an AJ Green type situation where they think it's not going to be that bad. They don't put him on the IR or anything like that. And it just keeps getting extended, extended, extended because he's, they got to make sure he's right before they put him back out there. They could, they could damage his whole career if they put him out there too early. And so if anything, I think they're going to err on the side of caution and, and extend it. And I think he ends up on the pup to start the year if I had to predict it. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure, especially if they're going to play it safe. But all right, so let's talk about, you know, not putting them out there and risking injury. But supposedly report wise from the good side of thing that Tua has no limitations and that now it's open QB competition. The second part, I don't even believe it's not like open QB competition is just kind of, in my opinion, Brad, just coach speaking the fact of like, hey, you know, if Ryan Fitzpatrick looks like garbage before we get to week one and Tua is just lighting it up well, we'll be forced to make the change, but it's going to take that big of a difference for them to actually roll out to it because if you talk about risk, I don't see, like, the Dolphins could surprise and be contenders, but if they are contenders, I kind of feel like that keeps Ryan Fitzpatrick the starter. Like, until they're three, four games under 500, potentially out of the playoff race, I don't think Tua gets on the field at all because they could be a sneaky playoff team. They've made a lot of improvements. This division is now wide open with no Tom Brady. Who knows what Cam Newton is? A lot of the Patriots are sitting out, which brings questions. The fullback situation brings questions to the running back situation, which already has questions with Sony Michelle. You see where I'm going here. So the Tua news, does this really sway you at all? And does it sway you in the fact of like, let's say Tua was week one starter. Does it really even change your opinion on Devontae Parker and Preston Williams? Uh, 
I don't. I it's wouldn't change. The, I wouldn't too. change the receivers <laughs> any. I won't. I won't change the receivers okay. any. Um, it does change my opinion on Tua because my whole thought process all along is the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins have a legit chance to win this division with the Patriots, especially. I mean, day by day right now, the Patriots are getting weaker, especially on defense. I think there's a. It, this is between the Dolphins and the Bills, and I think the Jets are out of it. And so, if if they feel like they've got a legit shot. I could. My whole thought process all along was Fitzpatrick's going to be the quarterback until they're eliminated from the playoffs, and then they we might see Tua at some point. If Tua's got a shot to to start or to play earlier, even if he doesn't start week one, we could see him as early as week two or three if if Fitzpatrick struggles a little bit. And I don't know that that would have necessarily been the case had you know had he not had a full training camp and and or he had practice limitations or whatever. But now if he's full go then yeah, I think we could see him a lot earlier and I'm not drafting him. I will say that I am not going to draft him unless, unless he, it is known that he is a starter, but in a two quarterback super flex league as a second quarterback, I mean, there's an immense amount of upside there, but bottom line, he's a rookie. Very few rookie quarterbacks are, are somebody you want to throw in a super flex lineup. If you have a choice, um, he's not, you know, he's not a scrambler. Um, he's not, he doesn't have like an added dimension. It's just that we think he's going to be really good long-term. What about his downfield play and aggressiveness compared to Fitzpatrick and the fact that that's why some people are hesitant on, like they're already hesitant on Devontae Parker. You know, my feelings about Devontae Parker and I I think he's a value that people are disrespecting. The guy, again, number two, while Preston Williams wasn't out from the entire time that Devontae Parker was putting up numbers. But anyway, so number two behind Michael Thomas from week four on, and even with a downgrade, like that's not going to happen again. I understand that. But even if you downgrade him to where I have him, like, you know, mid-low teens, I think it's a fair spot, yet he's going late 20s, Brad. Is this the, well, if Fitzpatrick's not quarterback, it's going to ding Devontae Parker even more? Or, like, what's the thinking here? Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I just, like I said, I don't, it doesn't affect the receivers much to me because I think both of these quarterbacks are, are fairly similar as far as like upside with risk. Like we've seen Fitzpatrick go out and have QB one games because he chucks the ball all over the place. We've also, we also know two is probably going to be a more efficient passer than Fitzpatrick is. So one, one way or another there, there can be upside with both. Um, it's still, there's so many question marks. We don't even know what the running game situation is going to be. I mean, we think it's Jordan Jordan Howard early and Matt Breed as receiving back. If Breed is healthy, he could take over that that early down roll too, and and make their offense a little more dynamic. And I, I don't know. Like I I am pretty much the only Dolphin. I will say this: pretty much the only Dolphins I have on my team are. Um, Preston Williams because you can get him so late, and Mike Gesicki because he's you know he's a one of those late round athletics you know tight end targets that could be a tight end one, and you're not having to draft him as one. You can get him as a 14, 15 tight end right now. Yeah, I, I actually like I said, Devontae Parker in my opinion is going late for where he should go. Like he's obviously, but I mean not late overall. But if you're going to tell me fifth, sixth round, I mean that's. Something. Where did I even get? I feel like I got him even later than that. Do you have the link up? I, I actually uh, didn't even yeah. pull up my own link for the FFPC. I've got. Did I get him in the fifth or sixth round? Like, I, I just because I'm you in another Preston draft. Preston Williams right. in the eleventh. Oh, um, I didn't. Yeah, that's. I think I missed Devontae Parker. Parker. In that one. I missed yeah. Parker in that one. I was actually mad I didn't get Parker. Parker, in that Parker one. went in the sixth round. Um, yeah, see, that's two what I'm picks ahead of you, I think. Yeah, so. sixth round. Oh yeah, I did. I got. Yeah, that's when I got sniped by freaking. Uh, 
Who is that? Shop. That was somebody's shop. Uh, somebody's shop. S C H O P P. Oh, I, I don't know that who was... that is. No, I don't know who that was. I thought no it was offense. Curtis Patrick. That's what I was thinking of. No, in any case, sixth round. I'm going to get Devontae Parker every kind of – I'm really mad that I didn't get him. But, hey, see, I did that. I got Preston Williams instead. I was like, yeah, you know, I'll take him as a value. All right, so let's talk about more concerns. This seems to be a concerning episode so far. John Elway. So this isn't just coach speak. and This is bad coach speak, Brad. But it's legitimate bad coach speak because we're talking about what you and I have been talking about for weeks now, and that's the no off season. And he said that – LA now has tempered expectations for the offense as a whole because they're making sweeping changes. They're having a rookie wide receiver that should be their number two. They have Drew Locke in his first full season. They have a young tight end. They have a young wide receiver in Quilton Sutton who is starting to see the attention deserved of a number one wide receiver like him, the new running back and Melvin Gordon. So with all these changes, with all the offensive scheme changes, with all the young players to hear John Elway come out and say that he has tempered expectations. Does that temper your expectations? Um, yeah. And mine were tempered already. And I, I'm not sure what Elway was, you know, what his initial thought was how good their offense was going to be. But when you bring in essentially your number two receiver is, is a rookie their slot receiver is probably going to be KJ Hamler. I know you love Bayshon, but oh no, no, I they don't love him. So I, I know I'm a, actually I'm a big Hamler fan. I actually said when they drafted first of all when they drafted Judy, I was like, oh, Deshaun Hamler is already done because Judy does so well out of the slot in addition to what he does. But then when they drafted De- Hamler, I was like, oh, I doubled down. I was like, yeah, this team when they came out last year and they said Hamilton needs to get what do they call him? more grit or something like that or whatever it was. I was like, they just don't like him. I, right. I hope he lands somewhere else and like catches on as a slot receiver. Yeah, and they, they you know, you talk about um, they, they spend a first-rounder on Judy, a, I think a third-rounder on Hamler. They signed Melvin Gordon to be the new running back. They they draft a backup tight end, Albert Okwabunum or whatever, for, you know, to back up Noah Fant. Who, you know, and yeah, Fant was tried. a first-rounder last year. Thank you. Fant was a first-rounder last year. Cortland Sutton was a first-rounder two years ago. And, and so, yeah, they've spent an... And second rounder last year was Drew Locke. They've spent an immense amount of draft capital and free agent money trying to bolster this offense. And then he's like tempering expectations. I don't know if he's trying to make himself feel better or, you know, or, or set the, lower the expectations of the media. But if they don't come out and have some explosiveness offensively this year, I don't know how you don't fire him. Like it's, it's, you know, I, I think you can make a, a case for that already, but also it, if you're putting all this talent around Drew Locke and Drew Locke is like the second or third quarterback he's drafted and it, you know, we don't know what he is yet. If he's not very good with all this talent around him, then you've got to go to go get a new GM that can evaluate talent better because right now they, they don't have their window is pretty small here. I, I feel like they've got some talent at receiver that's young, but with Gordon as your starting running back, when you bring him in for two or three years and knowing that that his you know he's at an advanced age, he's a free agent running back. They usually don't last through their second contract, so it's I, I don't know. I, I just am I was hesitant already because I'm not a big believer in Locke, and I will say this: they are going to be in some shootouts in that division. Um, you know, Kansas City obviously puts up points. The Raiders want to play shootout with everybody, um, and and so there is going to be an opportunity for for an immense amount of pass volume, um, high scoring games. Their defense is not as good as it was before. And there, there is a, an opportunity for volume there. And if Locke can't get it done, bring on Jeff Driscoll or whoever their backup is because 
Um, there's they've got to have a chance to put up points in that offense, and and I don't know. I'm if Elway's usually pretty bullish on his team, and if he's not right now, <laughs> that's that, what I'm that saying. makes like, me that makes of me all nervous. Coaches, yeah, it's like it's kind of the uh, the Pete Carroll where Pete Carroll kind of usually just tells us exactly like we know this. He's he wasn't that thrilled with the Shrod Penny pick, and then we <laughs> saw the usage wasn't there. Like at least he tells us, and there's a few coaches that do that. When you know this is one of the ones where, and not coach obviously a different situation, but as you said, it's worth noting because he's generally been very positive. Oh, you know the quarterbacks. We got a lot of quarterbacks we like back when they were trying to mix match and find somebody to take over. I, I you know, but I said that to you like what a month ago, Brad, where I said that if this doesn't work out he's carrying the bags out the door with drew lock that being john elway they're both out yeah. so i'm with you on that one all right hey you know what let's spin this back another good piece of news on the positive side for everybody and that's like i'm not taking a victory lap but i kind of am uh dalvin cook <laughs> reports like i told like only because again like you got to take this case by case i understand people are hesitant after everything that's happened year after year after year you know the latest just this past season everything like that but Melville Gordon being the one I was talking about. But Dalvin Cook, again, even if he held out, was going to be a restricted free agent, and that's why I was never concerned. Again, just kidding about the victory lap, but the fact that he reports. Is Dalvin Cook your number four? Or Because I've seen some people argue for Alvin Kamara, and that seems weird to me. Um, you know, I would probably, I would honestly probably still put Cook five. Um, and Behind I would take Kamara? Him, yeah, I'd put Kamara ahead of him. All right, um, well, that's, that's, that'll be today's discussion for this then, because I don't get it. Like, sell me on this, because I'll make my case first. Like, I don't get the Kamara argument. Like, even if he gets back to the touchdown level from two years ago, we all know that, like, last year he was very unlucky. I don't think— well, He's I also say this. hurt. I don't, right, well, he was hurt, but, you know, and it changed at the end of the year. This is a great offense for it. I think he's somewhere in between last year and two years ago. I don't think he gets quite back to that level from two years ago just because that was kind of like the Aaron Jones situation, too. It was just a very exceptional touchdown. And that guy, he's on the Saints, so I'm not taking that way. Latavius Murray is a factor. And I say Latavius Murray is a factor in the fact that similar when Mark Ingram was there. Now, Mark Ingram was more of the lead with Alvin Kamara, more of the mix. But again, I'll say this is kind of like the Eckler and Melvin Gordon once Melvin Gordon was 100%. I just don't think Latavius Murray is going away where Alvin Kamara is going to get. 250 plus guaranteed touches. He'll probably settle right around that 240 to 250 range, but around 200 carries, uh, maybe only like a buck 90 and like 60 to 70 receptions, which I guess that puts him more like 260. But still, that being said, is like, I just feel he's capped where Dalvin Cook, in my opinion, could contend for one, two, or three. Like, I, I guess Christian McCaffrey would have that huge drop off, but I know Cook is the guy all of the time. I think Kamara is just continually capped. So sell me on why Kamara overcook. Well, I mean, for starters, Kamara had 79 receptions last year in the, well, in the first 16 weeks and didn't play two weeks. So, you know, he was out and he missed half the game before that when he got hurt. So, you know, in, in 13 and a half games had 79 catches. Like he, I mean, that's at his rate, he's going to look, he's staring at a 95 catch season at that point. Yeah, he gets he does, never has the big carry games. He's always in the 12, 13, 14, 15 range somewhere in there. But if he's healthy, like that's the thing last year, he wasn't healthy for a big chunk of the year. He had a back injury, he had a high ankle sprain, and now he looks good and that to me is is the big difference. I I do, you know, when you say Latavius Murray is a factor, I agree, but not any more than Alexander Madison is potentially a factor in a similar range in with Dalvin Cook. I think and it's so, a bigger factor. And so and he could be. I mean, Latavius Murray is also 30 years old, and so there's a chance that they can't do what with him what they did last year. So I I don't know. I, I have no problem with people who put Cook ahead of him. I like Cook. I I also, 
you know, without Stephon Diggs there, I think their passing game is not going to be as good. Even though I like Justin Jefferson, I just think there's that adjustment Who's period. Who's on the COVID list? Yeah, and and not only that, but Adam Thielen's a year older too, and and wasn't healthy a lot of last year. And if that happens, and teams can start putting more men in the box against Cook, it's it just creates a little bit of a matchup problem. Whereas the Saints, they don't pound Alvin Kamara up the middle all the time like Dalvin Cook does, and and so they they can spread him out just in their offense a lot more, get him in space, more touches. I think there's an opportunity for Kamara to be the number one overall back too. And I, I think I can see that in both though. I see your point on Cook. It's not that I don't like Cook. I just, if I'm picking in a draft, I'm taking Kamara ahead of him. See, I'll go back and I'll give you a reference point too. Is Let's go back two years to when he had the what 14 rushing touchdowns which again i call that absurd he had 883 rushing yards that year and 14 rushing touchdowns uh he did not he didn't play one game he played 15 that year but even in that it's not only he was fourth overall he was fourth in fantasy points per game too behind barkley Gurley, and mccaffrey with that with that and again that was 275 touches i'm not saying you, like uh, you always should take Dalvin Cook, and there's no doubt in my mind it's Dalvin Cook. There's a little bit, but I would say it's like a 10, 15%. It's just, again, that's the best we've seen of Camara. And even if you give him the additional game, he still doesn't get it to the top three because he was behind all of them. So he's fourth in what was his best season. And that's where I'm, that, that's my comparison. That's where I'm going Cook is because the ceiling is already been set in my, like, I don't, do you really, and I'm not saying this and I know it's going to come off that way because of my tone and how I ask questions, but do you really think that Camara can do better than what he did two years ago? Because I think that's what he needs to do. He has to be better than what we've already seen his best. Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, I think that probably, at least from a touchdown perspective, it was his best. I do think he can get more more involved in the passing game than he's even been in the past. He's never hit 90 catches in a season, but he was going to blow right. that pace away last year. Um, okay. You know, at, at, you know, without the missed games midseason. So, um, I, I again, we're I mean, this is just a a nickel and dime. You know, yeah, but people. This is the here. ones that this is the fun discussions they like to have. They're like, I totally. don't know what to do like, with the fourth it, pick. Mean, and that's yeah, you're exactly right. And I, but in reality, I would. This is you're gonna laugh at me for this. I would take Kamara over Ezekiel Elliott, and I, wow. I, I just I think Kamara is going to have a really good year this year. I think it's a bounce back. I could see. I don't know. I think Elliot at some point he he is these guys that are are you know they have the durable label. At some point playing football, they're going to get hurt. Period. And it's is when they have it to this point, it just makes you wonder like when's it going to happen. And that to me is, <laughs> I, is Zeke I and that's Derrick Henry. I don't care if Zeke has never missed a game in his entire life. I am taking Zeke versus Kamara getting hurt a thousand times every single time just because of the body structure. Like I. I, there's no way I even want to touch Zeke's body. Like his legs, like I mean, you can say that about Adam though. I mean, look at Barkley's legs, and Barkley blew out his ankle last year. So yeah, I I just eh. yeah. Some of it's how but, they get hey. tackled, but some of it is how they're used. And and Elliott's a lot more of a between the between the tackles grinder. I know he can do other stuff, but that's how they run him. Whereas Kamara, they're always doing sweeps outside, and he's taking on defensive backs a lot of times instead of linemen and linebackers. Tree trunks, man. Tree trunks. <laughs> going through there. Oh. Uh, here, real quick, uh, we're not going to get to the early ADP and wide receivers today. Uh, we had kind of been running a theme on that because there's one thing I, I want to get back to with you with strategy and just the thought that's been sitting here for now two or three weeks because I did an mm-hmm. article on it. And I did an article on it because I'm getting tired of being put in these leagues that I didn't realize that were this way. 
is the tight end premium scoring. I'm so sick. Like the articles on the site, you can read it, and there's been a lot of comments about like other interesting scoring. I'm not saying don't play the way you want to play. Like if you want to play in a two tight end league with tight end premium scoring, like I think you're bat, you know what, crazy, but go do it. I play what you like. But I'm just sick of the tight end premium scoring. This is why, Brad. And I just want to get your thoughts. And I'm not just saying that just to debate the tight end premium scoring, because I do want to see, like, do you like, obviously we've talked about Superflex. Do you like other formats? Do you like going four wide receivers? Like just your thoughts there too. But interesting scoring formats as the aside to my point about tight end premium scoring is the fact that it doesn't help the position. It all it does is it makes the elites have a bigger gap to the rest which is not what you want to do. Like people want to increase the value of tight ends. It's similar to when PPR was created. They want to increase the value of wide receivers because everybody just took tight end, or running backs for the first two rounds. But what I did and found in the study, and you can go read the article, is it every single year, the top two or three some years being mostly Kelsey of the world, but Ertz a couple times, Kittle last year, is it just widened the gap from them to number four? And then from four to seven and, or eight, it widened that gap again to the rest, like the dredges, the, you know, find your random person. And I feel like people are just doing this because they get mad when people wait to the end of the draft and get themselves a Darren Waller or a Mark Andrews or pick up Tyler Higbee's like, they're just mad that they spent the draft capital on Evan Ingram and it didn't work out while they watched somebody blow them away with Mark Mark Andrews. Yeah. So I, I'm not a fan of the leagues that have tight ends scoring more than any other receivers. I don't mind if you're going to do tight end premium. I think the best way to do it is to have a two tight end league. And the reason being, when you look back at the finishes, I understand what you're saying. The one one to three gap is is big, and then the four to seven gap is big. But the four to seven gap are very rarely drafted four through seven in your ADP. They're always the the 10, 12, 14 About guys. And yeah. yeah, and I reckon a lot of those guys do not even get drafted in single tight end leagues because most people don't take two tight ends. So you, you force those guys to be drafted and you reward the owners who, who found those guys, found the guy who was going to take off and, and become a tight end four when you drafted him as a tight end 15. That's where I, I feel like you could create an advantage to the owners who have found those guys because Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry, uh, who else? Last year was OJ Howard. OJ Howard. Yeah, they, they were not, they didn't finish anywhere close to where they were drafted and you, but you had Mark Andrews, who was the you know fifteenth tight end off the board. You had George Kittle the year before, was the tenth or eleventh tight end off the board. You've got, or, and maybe later. Well, let me add to that then, real quick. Uh, I do like that, but I suggested going wide receiver slash tight end flex, no running back involved, only because especially the two six, which the NFL needs to stop. It's perfect. You can do 14 buys across the, we don't need to have a two team buy week and then a six team buy, but a six team buy week similar to a two quarterback league and why I don't want to do a full, full on two tight end. I say like one tight end and then one tight end wide receivers, because now there's people that are going to be down in the thirties. And I know some people will say there's a strategy to that, but once you get past like tight end 15, you're just trying to find the one that scored a touchdown anyway. Yeah. And that that's probably true. And, and I like that. And I also, when you talked about other league formats and I think you could piggyback these two, I like the idea of having more flex spots than just one. Like have two running back wide receiver tight end flex spots and then have a third flex spot that's the wide receiver tight end. I'm all for that because then you're talking potentially going (laughs) six, seven wide receivers deep. So, or, you know, if you choose to do wide receiver over tight end. So, yeah, I I like a deeper, deeper starting lineup. 
for me because that shows more skill. I mean, you talk about someone who's in a 10-team league and they only have nine starting roster spots. There's no skill in that. It's You can pluck guys off the waiver wire who should be starting in most leagues. I want to see the guys who can find the, the 12th, 13th, 14th round guys who, who are startable. Jay Sternberger. <laughs> yeah, or, or you can go later with him. But, but yeah, like that... Mike Gusecki's a, a you know a tenth, twelfth, fourteenth round you know type type tight end right now. That that whole Noah Fant, throw him in there. You're picking Johnu Smith, um, Ian Thomas. Find one of those guys is probably going to hit this year, if not more than one. But reward the owners who find those guys because and and they don't you don't reward them because oh I drafted him and he was on my bench. Force them to start him and get the benefit for him during the week. That's when that's when they're actually rewarded because it actually makes their fantasy team better. Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you. I think that's the the more skill, and I agree with what DVR put in the notes there. I said the same thing. Not only can you just do four team buys, guess what? The NFL sets it up perfectly. He said, "Why aren't the entire divisions on buy together?" There you go. Eight weeks, four teams each week. Done. You you simplify the entire thing, and yet we still have a two team bye week and a six team bye week and two teams this year in week thirteen for you guys playing in Scott Fishbowl. I hope you realize that because that's the first week of Scott Fishbowl playoffs, and you're not going to have playoffs. Christian, yeah, you're not going to have Christian McCaffrey or you know potentially. Well, I was going to say Teddy Bridgewater, DJ Moore. Yeah, like that. No, I'm tra- I, no, I know that. I was trying to think who's the other team. Who's the other team that's week thirteen by? It's somebody is with it players. Tampa, but I don't know that for sure. Yes, it's Tampa. Thank you. It is Tampa. It's Tom Brady and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. So they, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of big players that are going to be out week thirteen. But anyway, uh, real quick before you get out of here, any other fun things that you've made? Like my biggest one in my home league. This is what I've done, Brad, and this is what I keep trying to tell everybody is instead of doing these inflated fake numbers like PPR and stuff like that, I understand it was a nice round number and it was done back in the day when fantasy football started. You know, you went to the box score in the paper and you divided 10 and 10 into one and it makes a really nice number. And 25 turns into four, like nice numbers. But we're not there. Everything's calculated for you these days. I do 1.5 for 10 yards. Like increase yard scoring, you get higher scoring, but it also offsets the touchdown luck because... Yards are where the production is. Yes, you know, the, we do want touchdowns too, like real NFL, but my home league, we boost the yardage. It's 1.5 for 10, 1.5 for 10, and 1.5 for 20, or 25 for the, for the quarterbacks, for the quarterbacks, just to give the yardage more value. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm in a couple leagues that we have a quarter point per carry, that so it kind of rewards the work, workers running backs, even if they're not getting a touchdown, but they get 20 carries. That's an extra five points that week. Um, and I I like the, the leagues too, um, that... I, I'm not a big fan of yardage bonuses um, where like, oh, like, you know, you hit hundred yards and you get, and you get a five yeah. point bonus. But if you hit 99, you don't get that bonus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I do, I also, so you could do a graduated bonus scale where, you know, say every, every 10 yards or, or every, I don't know, every 50 yards is an extra point. And so it, it, it it's like, so, well, someone has a hundred yard game. Yeah. They get five points, but if they had a 50 yard game, they get two points, you know, or something to the effect where it's, it's kind of a scale on the way. I do like the, the one thing that Scott Fish yards. does that I like, um, I really, yeah, exactly. I really like first down points in some form. I don't think it should be like oh, a God, one point for that. first down, but the reason is because that is really valuable in real football, getting the teams that have third down conversions that that get a lot of first downs and move the ball up and down the field are the better teams. And I like guys who the teams rely on to be that guy. It's third and six, and who are they going to throw the ball to? Those guys are really valuable in in real football, and I like the idea of trying to make them a little more valuable in fantasy football. 
Yeah, that's more hated fake points for me. I understand the <laughs> argument behind it because it is that's like one thing I will say. So I played in a fantasy baseball league one year where there was 26 categories because it was supposed to be like real baseball. The more real you get, the worse it gets, just in my opinion. And like the reason for first down is because it goes back to the full PPR thing. It's like, why should the guy that is the third and one carry for the first down get more points than the nine yards that got him there? Like that's... You know, that's and I, I like I understand your point and I'm not saying you're wrong to play again. Play how you want. It's just sure. that's why I don't like it is because no, I get it. One, you get one point one versus point nine to the guy who got you to the third. You know, and sometimes it's the same guy. And that's where that value can lie. But again, whatever. But, but please, uh, everybody, as a reminder, before you get out, file Brad Ziegler at Brad Ziegler. Very simple to go follow him. If you like Dynasty and 18 billion leagues of advice and best balls and everything, he's got a ton for you there. Uh, if um, if you want to go over to The Athletic, again, 40% off. Click on any of the articles. The Draft Kit, Fantasy Baseball for DVR has got you covered. And uh, before we get out of here, Brad, I like so for everybody that doesn't know, starting tomorrow, we have a preview of what's starting next week with a whole revamp schedule. It's not going to be called a throwback anymore. It's actually the Athletic Fantasy Football Podcast because one day it's going to be myself, Funston, and Beller. Another day it's going to be Nando with some special people that you're going to love. Uh, but it's all changing up. It's starting Monday, but tomorrow we're going to have a preview of how it's going to be on Thursday for if you're following all that. But I do want to because I'm going to miss talking to you and arguing with you because we never agree. and That's what makes it fun, Brad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I've enjoyed this a lot. And, and for those that don't know, today is my last day on the throwback um, as a podcaster for The Athletic. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I appreciate all the interaction on Twitter um, and, and all the questions that people have thrown out, comments. Uh, I, I even enjoy it when people point out where I was absolutely wrong. Um, so um, it, it's been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed it. I love love working with you, Jake. And I hope, hope we get an opportunity sometime down the road to do the same thing. <laughs>